You're listening to the Kiwi Tripsters Travel Podcast. Brought to you by Abercrombie and Kent, pioneering experiential luxury travel since 1962. Buckle up and take off every fortnight to spectacular destinations as we share the inside word on all things travel. Whether you're into luxury travel or tripping on a budget, whether it's river cruising or foodie trips, we've got you covered with top tips and tricks so you can have an awesome travel experience. Tune in with Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. And be sure to like and share this episode so everyone can get a taste of all things travel and now on to the show with your host from Christchurch New Zealand Mike Yardley and Chris Lynch Good idea. Welcome along to a new edition of Kiwi Tripsters at a time where much of the Western world, not even just Western, but many places around the globe to varying degrees are in lockdown. Mike, hello to you remotely. Yes, indeed, Chris. Uh, very strange times, but uh, we're keeping it uh, keeping it local and keeping it safe. And obviously, our sense of Wanderlust has been constrained uh, by the inability to free roam at present, but mm. that is absolutely no reason to suspend your armchair adventures uh, and also your bucket list travel dreams. Exactly. We can still dream, Chris. We can still dream, and dare we can, because there will come a time when we can eventually travel again. And speaking of your bucket list travel, I mean, you've been all over the place, and you were talking about some of your bucket list travel ideas and and thing and places you just love. Yeah, well, I suppose uh, the very term bucket list, which is a bit overdone, let's be honest, it generally refers to your sense of an ultimate adventure, a dream trip. So, Mm -hmm. you know, your top shelf travel dreams, it might be climbing Kilimanjaro, you may want to knock off Machu Picchu or gaze over the Taj Mahal, Mm -hmm. you might want to see the Northern Lights, if you're Chris Lynch, you might dream of seeing Britney Spears live in Las Vegas. And that's what I've done. I'm unashamedly commercial, I love Las Vegas, and I feel like at least I've been there about what seven times now. So yes. I feel like I've done a. It's had a very good innings, so we can put <laughs> that aside to one place. But anyway, um, I was just going to ask, what do you think it would be your um, bucket list adventure, or perhaps your biggest accomplishment? Yeah, well, I'm very much into pilgrimages, and I thought about this, Chris, and I think it would be hard at the moment for me to beat. Um, being part of those Anzac Day dawn services at Gallipoli. That would have to take top slot for me. I've been very lucky to have been there for Anzac Day in Turkey on three occasions. Uh, and on a on a poignant note, being April, of course, later this month, uh, Anzac Day services have been cancelled, not just at Gallipoli, but a, of course across New Zealand and Australia. So hopefully... Uh, normal transmission for Anzac Day will resume in 2021. Oh, I'm sure it will. I mean, this is temporary, and that's what I guess we've got to remind ourselves. This is a temporary measure. Uh, By the way, Geography 101, tell us exactly where Gallipoli is located. Yeah, well, it's about three hours' drive from Istanbul on Gallipoli Peninsula, which, Mm -hmm. uh, of course, you'll know is perched at the entrance to the Dardanelles, which is that pencil-thin body of water that links the Mediterranean with the Black Sea and in Russia. So going back into World War One history, whoever controlled that waterway controlled access to Eastern Europe. And for the Kiwis, the Allied campaign tried to capture Gallipoli Peninsula and the waterway, which would have knocked the Turkish Ottoman Empire out of the war because they had aligned themselves with Germany. But it's a beautiful, beautiful place, Gallipoli Peninsula. 
It is. It looks absolutely stunning. And the Gallipoli Peninsula, I understand, and you were saying to me this the other day, it's a lot bigger than most people realise, isn't it? Yeah, incredibly so. Um, The first time I laid eyes on Gallipoli, I was blown away just by how sprawling and how steep it is. And I was actually working on a Greek cruise ship as the DJ in the Taverna uh, back in the late 90s when I was doing my first big OE. And um, the ship that I worked on, we used to sail from Athens to Istanbul once a week. And we'd sail through the Dardanelles Straits right past the peninsula uh, and stop at Chinakali, uh, which is across the other side of the water from Gallipoli. And the peninsula is about 80 kilometres long, um, and it has some very high, craggy mountain peaks, including... Uh, the location of the New Zealand Monument, which sits atop Chana Kabir. It is so high, you can spot the monument from the sea. And I actually had a Greek friend on board the ship um, who was part of the crew who first pointed out to me the New Zealand Monument. And he said to me, can you see that huge, big sort of concrete uh, rectangle up there on the peak? And I said, yeah. He said, that's your monument. That's your nation's monument to Gallipoli. So it was really first laying eyes on it from that Greek cruise ship that whetted the appetite and the dream, the bucket list dream for me to actually uh, set foot on Gallipoli and particularly be there for Anzac Day. Um, now, I think people would be quite interested to hear your your family connection on this as well. Well, I suppose most Kiwi and Aussie families do have a connection to Gallipoli when you go back through your predecessors. For me, it was my great-great-uncle Fred, uh, who was about 20, 21, when he was called up uh, for king and country, and off he went to uh, the war and to Gallipoli. The interesting thing I discovered uh, just before I went to Gallipoli for Anzac Day for the first time was his diary. And my mother actually has got um, a lot of his, you know, sort of personal mementos, including his um, uh, badges and um, and medals from the war. Anyway, in his diary, he was quite a young religious man and his mother thought he would probably end up being a priest. He didn't. But mm. before he left to go to war, his mother gave him this Virgin Mary pendant, a bit like a, a good luck charm. Yeah. And as my great, great uncle Fred was coming ashore onto uh, the beach at Anzac Cove, he had fastened the Virgin Mary pendant into the inside of his jacket. But lo and behold, as he came ashore, enormous gunfire breaking out, he writes about in his diary, mm. somehow this pendant had unfastened itself from inside his jacket. And it had fallen in front of him down on the, the sand, of, sand of the beach. And he writes in the diary, I don't know, he might have used a bit of artistic license here, but he reckons as he bent down to pick up this pendant of Mary from the beach, two shots were fired which went through, skimmed to the top of his hat. And um, it was picking up that pendant that probably saved his life because if he had been standing upright, at the same time, wow. those two bullets will have gone through his chest. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Mm. It's a one, well, it's a, I'm not sure if you say it's a wonderful story. It's a life-saving story, isn't it? It is. He Incredible. survived Gallipoli, yeah. Although he obviously played up afterwards because he was dishonorably discharged from the New Zealand Army shortly afterwards. Oh, no. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay, story of your life, isn't it? Well, pretty much, Chris, yeah. Just joking. Um, you've also <laughs> done the Anzac pilgrimage several times. And, mm. and look, that's become a bit of a rite of passage for young Kiwis and Australians. Absolutely. And this will be one of the big differences uh, in April this year. You're not going to have that pilgrimage from mm. London where so many young Kiwis and Aussies will often leave from to go to Gallipoli while they're doing their big OE in Britain. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, it has become a, a popular pastime for backpackers as such, to uh, take a short trip from London to go to Gallipoli, spend the night or a couple of nights on Gallipoli Peninsula either side of Anzac Day. And I don't know of any other place in the world where you've got tens of thousands of young Kiwis and Aussies gathering on a frigidly wind-swept shoreline, keeping vigil through the night to pay tribute to our forebears. It is a remarkably unique ritual and hopefully it will be back to being a reality in 2021. You're with Kiwi Tripsters and we're talking about bucket list travel experience and for Mike, you've been observing Anzac Day and the Gallipoli is definitely one for you. Um, I hope I can ask this, but uh, the battlefields at Gallipoli, they look absolutely massive. They're bigger than what... I thought they would be from all the novels I've read. Yeah, they are absolutely monumental. Um, the sheer size of what we loosely call Gallipoli surprises most newcomers to the peninsula. Very undulating, very mountainous, as I mentioned before, and incredibly steep valleys. Uh, Anzac Cove, obviously, is the most poignant site on Gallipoli Peninsula. And I took a walk, and most people who go there will take a, a very long, reflective walk around the sandy shoreline where so much gruesome history occurred. And as you gaze up at the soaring cliffs and the peaks that wrap around the back of Anzac Cove, it becomes very self-explanatory at just how tough the odds were for those Allied troops landing ashore at Anzac Cove. There was this massive fortress-like peak at the back of Anzac Cove, which has been nicknamed the Sphinx, and it pierces the skyline. And that Sphinx was laced with Turkish forces high up, just shooting um, the troops as they came ashore on the beach. You know, they just had the, like the perfect vantage point to mow them down, uh, not to be too brutal about it. And then uh, you've got all sorts of burial sites sprinkled around the slopes of the peninsula, some with really potently named um, titles like Shrapnel Valley Cemetery, Hell Spit Cemetery. And on a parochial front, I also paid a visit to the Canterbury Cemetery, where obviously a lot of uh, Canterbury soldiers uh, were buried. What about some of the main memorial sites as well? Yeah, well, obviously for Australians, the most sacred place is Lone Pine, and this was the scene of one of the campaign's bloodiest battles. Um, I think from memory, 4,000 Australian soldiers were killed on that site alone uh, in 1915. The name itself is really interesting as well, because in 1994, a fire swept away all of the trees that shaded the cemetery of Lone Pine, except for one pine tree. And remarkably, the lone pine that survived was planted many years ago from a seed of the tree that originally stood there 
during the battle. So the whole Lone Pine theme has actually gone full circle in the century. Uh, further up the slopes of Gallipoli, Chanuk Bear, the tallest peak of all, uh, that is where the New Zealand troops achieved their greatest Gallipoli triumph. They actually seized control of that ridge, Chanuk Bear, from the Turks. And it was only after the British reinforcements arrived to uh, replace the Kiwis that the Turks actually snatched back control of Chanuk Bear and the Gallipoli campaign was essentially over. But yeah, I mean, so many uh, so many stories of courage, bravery, and mm. all-out tragedy. Uh, nearly 3,000 Kiwis lost their lives at Gallipoli. Very, very sad. Um, what about Ataturk's famous words? This is probably a highlight for anyone who goes to Gallipoli yeah. uh, because Mustafa Kemal was the Ottoman's military commander. Um, who essentially presided over the victory for the Turks. They call it the Chanakali War. And he became uh, Mustafa, Mustafa Kemal Ataturk, the founder of the new Turkish Republic. And um, one of his most treasured gestures can be seen on the shoreline just a couple of hundred metres from Anzac Cove, and it's what they call the Coastal Monument. And inscribed on the monument are those famous words of peace and reconciliation from Ataturk, which he expressed in 1934 in memory of the Gallipoli campaign. And uh, those those words are the ones that start, you the mothers who central sons from yeah. faraway countries. Yeah, it's a beautiful monument. How about those powerful-looking dawn services? Yeah, well, I really think... Um, you will not find a more powerful, poignant dawn service than the one at Anzac Cove on April 25. It is epic. There is a spiritually um, sort of um, sensation that just suffuses that whole Anzac Cove uh, for the dawn service. And everyone is standing, their heads are bowed. Most people there will have endured the night waiting out the night for that first light of day, um, sleeping, many in sleeping bags around Anzac Cove. And I tell you what, um, national anthems, they just sound so much more solemn yeah. and powerful at Gallipoli than anywhere else I've been, particularly the New Zealand anthem, obviously. Yeah, what about the New Zealand service at Chanuk Beer? I mean, that must be absolutely incredible. Yeah, it is um, It is a really proud moment to be there for that, and um, it's really the last act of the day because after the dawn service, there are a variety of national services that take place around the peninsula, including the Australian service at about 10 a.m. in the morning, the New Zealand service, is held at two o'clock in the afternoon. Very patriotic, lots of New Zealand music. Uh, but the thing which really struck me, Chris, going to Gallipoli was how New Zealanders and Australians <clears throat> are very different when it comes to patriotic outpouring. And a lot of young Aussies there at Gallipoli, they'll rock up fully clad in their national colours as if they're off to a one-day cricket game. <laughs> Some will bring blow-up kangaroos. Um, a lot of them will be draped in green and gold face painters. I suppose, what we love mm. about the Aussies, right? Do we? It sounds a bit <laughs> crass to me. Uh, there's a, you know, pick your moment, I would have thought. But anyway, yes. um, there is some fantastic Turkish hospitality that you were talking to me about as well. And they're very warm-hearted people, the Turks, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And, I mean, they're great hosts to allow Australia and New Zealand to essentially take over their peninsula again <laughs> every year for this uh, Anzac service. But, um, I mean, obviously, yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a tourist money spinner for them as well. So they get their benefits, but they are truly wonderful hosts. And um, 
uh, a great place to go um, to get a get a real sense of Turkish hospitality mm. is across the water at uh, Chinakali. Fantastic. Now, we'd love to hear about your bucket list travel experiences and your dreams. What is on the top of your bucket list? Has it changed at all in the last, you know, several weeks? Share your thoughts on our Facebook page or give us your feedback on any of the podcast services of your choice. And remember, please do rate and review our podcast. Absolutely. Now, coming up, as COVID keeps much of the world locked down, we are going to enter the wondrous world of virtual tourism to stimulate your armchair adventures. Stay tuned. Kiwi Tripsters will be right back after this break. Abercrombie & Kent was born on safari in East Africa in the early 1960s. It's grown to become the world leader in luxury adventure travel. Now with 56 offices and more than 2,500 travel experts on the ground around the world, Abercrombie & Kent takes the world's most discerning travellers on exquisite journeys in more than 100 countries and all seven continents. This is luxury travel redefined, taking you out of your comfort zone in exquisite comfort on handcrafted, bespoke, private and small group journeys and luxury expedition cruises. Talk to your travel agent, call Abercrombie & Kent on 0800 441 638 or visit abercrombiekent.co.nz. You're with Kiwi Tripsters and to help you deal with the cabin fever, we are going to share with you a stack of ideas in the next few episodes on virtual vocations and virtual tourism. It's been probably a really good thing to do lately. Um, sadly, though, uh, one of the epicenters of COVID at the moment is New York City. It's no stranger, though, to modern day struggles. Indeed. Uh, and obviously, our thoughts are with New York because they are facing a horrific April. In recent living memory, uh, the terror attacks of September 11 probably embody the best and worst of extreme adversity around the world and also human endurance. And the reason I thought I'd mention this is because I really think one of the, the the banner experiences in New York is going to the 9-11 Memorial Museum and listening to those distraught phone messages left by people trapped in the twin towers of the World Trade Center. It really wrenches at your heart. Uh, those calls are loving, they're frantic, they're frightened, mm. they're fatalistic and so sobering. And a bit like the earthquakes in Christchurch, I'm sure many people in New York City will be thinking back to 9-11 now, you know, in terms of this enormous trial the city is facing and that pursuit of enduring and overcoming uh, these really dark days. But the the 9-11 Memorial Museum, I think, would probably be my favourite searing New York experience, uh, and it was a, the real standout for me on my last, vid- uh, last visit to the city that never sleeps until now. Yeah, it is sad. Like much of the world, we just simply can't go there at the moment. It's essentially off limits to travellers, but there is some good news in all of this. It doesn't mean uh, you can't just have a look around in a very sort of 3D way in some respects, right? 
Yeah, very much. And um, beyond virtual touring, I mean, hopefully Air New Zealand's grand plans for a direct service to New York will still eventuate at some stage. It is unlikely to occur as planned in October this year. But in the meantime, uh, yeah, there are some amazing attractions you can take a virtual tour of. The 9-11 Museum is no exception. They've got a riveting virtual tour on there website in video format, and um, it will walk you through inside the museum, through its uh, full layout, and they've done it by way of slow-moving cameras gliding down the hall. So it's it virtually creates the, the, the sensation of you are walking down the halls because yeah. the cameras will sort of move at that pace. Um, and uh, there are also uh, some fabulous exhibits from within the museum which are available in really high detail. <clears throat> on the 9-11 Google Expeditions app. Um, it is absolutely excellent for viewing the art and the photographs in detail. Interesting stuff. There's also so many amazing museums to have a look as well. You've mm. got a few favourites too, don't you? Yeah, the Guggenheim would be considered by most art buffs as one of America's finest art museums. And on Google Street View, they will transport you to the Guggenheim's famous spiral staircase. I just love it. And um, then they will sort of whisk you through uh, their various collections of art, impressionist, modern, contemporary. And if that's not enough to keep you busy, the online collection on the Guggenheim website actually has uh, documented 1,700 of their artworks um, from over 600 artists, including uh, some of the real big names like Pablo Picasso, Jeff Koons. Um, and yeah, you can surgically inspect uh, those artworks on the online collection. Great fun. It is so cool. Also in New York, the Museum of Modern Art is actually, it's one of my kind of cool things to do because it's, um, well, it's very modern and there's so much to choose from. You, kind of, you actually kind of feel like you can be transported there, which I think is just remarkable. That's fantastic, Chris. Yeah. Um, nicknamed MoMA, the yeah. Museum of Modern Art. Um, the one that I really love inside uh, MoMA is Vincent van Gogh's The Starry Night, yeah, which would be cool. one of my favourite mm -hmm. pieces of art. Um, that's housed there. And in partnership with Google Arts and Culture, MoMA has um, a free virtual walkthrough exhibition. Mm -hmm. So their main masterpieces, their select pieces of art uh, from their permanent collections are all part of that virtual walkthrough. Um, and also on the art front, the Met, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, they've got a series of videos um, that uh, very much showcase uh, some of their finest masterpieces. And I do like this. In the age of the COVID crisis, the whole series of videos has been soundtracked to some very calm, soothing stress-free music. So I think that's to help, you know, deal to any anxiety we have over COVID-19, Chris. And we need some of that right now, don't we? Listen, just ahead to my kind of stuff, family-friendly virtual tourism across the United States of America. Stay with us. Well, as we remain locked down for who knows how long, um, there are some amazing co-family experiences that you can do with your kids as well uh, from across the United States or America. Mike, the one I know you like and, and me too, really, it's NASA. I mean, it's got an amazing online resource, doesn't it? It certainly does. And it's a bit like uh, the real-time attractions in the States when it comes to family-friendly. I think NASA is a rival for Disney because kids go absolutely gaga 
at their various centres, whether it be Space Centre in Houston or at Cape Canaveral. Kids can't get enough of space. Uh, So in the age of the COVID crisis, NASA have very generously opened up their vaults, uh, basically, to create a whole lot of virtual experiences for you and your family. And uh, this spans everything from flight simulations to supersonic wind tunnels, so you can let all of your childhood dreams come true there. Um, also, on the Space Centre Houston app, they've got some augmented reality experiences, which are very, very trippy. Um, so you can learn, see, explore so much space-related stuff. Uh Thanks to NASA. Um, by the way, we will put um, some website addresses on our show notes at kiwitripsters.co.nz. But I know that the Space Centre Houston app has been very, very popular in recent weeks. So what you can do if you just want to sh- um, shortcut things here is just Google Space Centre Houston app and that will take you to the right address. And of course, the Disney theme parks, they're closed. But you can sort of go for a bit of a virtual ride through Disney. And I just love this. This is great for the kids. Yeah, absolutely. Walt Disney World particularly has created a lot of uh, virtual imitation experiences based on the real McCoy offerings in Florida. So Magic Kingdom, Animal Kingdom and Epcot, uh, they are the ones that have been particularly focused on in the virtual sense. And once again, we've got the specific virtual worlds address on our show notes at Kiwi Tripsters. There are also some unofficial YouTube videos, by the way, that you may want to check. <laughs> you may want to I was check just about out. Speaking, you got me. Okay. I know. Did you notice that? Yeah, you I just keep on right going. Across them. You keep on going. I went for the gap. I will actually give you that. There are some great rides that you can see by just going to some sort of fan sites. There are some actually yeah. good Disney fan sites on Facebook as well that can take you there. Yeah, I like some of the aquariums as well. You've got a favorite in California. Yeah, Monterey Bay uh, in California, the aquarium there is probably one of the best in the world, in my opinion. It is world acclaimed. They have been live streaming their residents in recent weeks. So if you want to go and check out their waddling penguins or their playful sea otters, um, some of the big ocean creatures, even the technicolored jellyfish are actually quite engrossing. It becomes quite trippy just to watch them float around with all of their amazing coloured hues. And they've also got a live cam of the crashing waves in Monterey Bay itself. All very cool. MontereyBayAquarium.org. Well worth it. When I was looking at there the other day, it kind of reminds you of the old um, Microsoft screensavers. And then you've got to remind yourself what you're seeing is actually real live creatures. That's very true, yeah. It's pretty cool. There are also some amazing uh, virtual zoos you can visit. One of my favourite ones, Mike, is probably the San Diego Zoo. Yeah, absolutely. You may have noticed actually all around the world, a lot of zoos have started to do this. Um, it's a good really idea, ramping isn't it? up their live camera offerings. And yeah, San Diego Zoo have been doing it uh, for at least the last month, knowing full well that this could be a great way to keep uh, not just uh, adults, but children occupied because the trip to the zoo is never boring. And they've got a fabulous menagerie of animals mm. at San Diego Zoo. Uh, you can also skip the crowds. No queuing. No queuing. No queuing. And arguably, you'll get a better view than being there in person. So if you want to fawn over one of the world's best zoos, check it out. Kids.sandiegozoo.org. And we'll put those details on our Facebook page as well for you. This is great stuff. Well, we hope you've enjoyed uh, this latest episode of Kiwi Tripsters. Uh, be sure to like us on our Facebook page. All the show notes are there as well. Mike does a great job uh, putting those up at kiwitripsters.co.nz. Please do rate us and review Kiwi Tripsters on the podcast service of your choice. 
And we hope to catch you again in a couple of weeks. We'll have a whole lot more virtual touring ideas for you. Stay safe Mm. and we'll catch you soon. Cheers. Stay safe. See you soon. And that's a wrap for this episode of Kiwi Tripsters. Liked what you listened to? Then join us for our next episode of Kiwi Tripsters, where we bring you more travel inspiration, giveaways, and insider knowledge with expert guests on the show. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, and visit us on kiwitripsters.co.nz. But most importantly, subscribe and comment on Apple Podcasts, and tell us what you think of our show. Till next time, safe travels. Safe travels.